Does your oral health play a role in your mental wellness? And if so, spoiler, it does. Are the everyday products that you're using for your teeth, gums, and breath helping or hurting? On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Mark Berhenna, a holistic dentist, about the connection between how you brush your teeth and floss your teeth and whether those habits help or hinder your mental health. Let's dive in. This is an episode that I am super excited about and have been intrigued to do ever since we did the oil pulling episode that you talked me into. That's right. That was when we really dove in for the first time on the podcast about the connection between oral health and mental health. Which honestly, until that episode, it never even crossed my mind, never occurred to me. Yeah, I really, I'm with you. Like I did not, until I was asked to write a few articles on oral health for eating well, I really didn't know, I didn't think that much about the connection between your oral microbiome and your gut microbiome. And so as soon as like we made that connection, I feel like we both really went off the deep end, um, in terms of exploring oral health and, and we need to let listeners know that we are definitely going to be launching some reels and product recommendations on our Instagram. Yes. Yes. We took a trip to Whole Foods. We are totally bought in. We're going holistic with our oral care for a while. We are. But I never stopped to think that my mouthwash could be hurting my mental health. Uh, exactly. And your blood pressure too, which we need, we need to be mindful of blood pressure. Yes. Yes. So yeah, lots of interesting things in this episode. I'm just going to call him Dr. B. Yeah. Let me do his bio um, and then we'll, we'll bring him in. So Dr. Berhenna is the creator and author of askthedentist.com, which is, I mean, his site has so much information and he uh, recently also launched a podcast. I think it was just this past fall that he started it. He's also the number one bestselling author of The Eight Hour Sleep Paradox. He is a family and sleep medicine dentist whose advice regularly appears on TV, radio and magazines, places like NPR, The Doctors and CBS News. You know, we didn't ask him about this when we interviewed him, but um, I would really love to know what his experience was like on the doctor. So next time we'll ask him. Well, I'm hooked. Everybody's going to want to go follow him um, after you hear him talk. He is awesome. I want to fly out to California to see him for my oral care, but. I, I mean, he lives in Napa. Let's do it. <laughs> True. All right. Let's bring him on. Welcome, Dr. Berhenna. I am so excited to have you. I feel like this getting you on the podcast for me has been a long time coming because I interviewed you earlier this year for an article that I was writing. And not only did you give me so much amazing information for the article articles that I wrote, you also inspired an episode that we already recorded on oil pulling. And there's now a phrase in my house that my husband likes to use where he says, oh, you know, remember when we used to use mouthwash? (laughs) Because he knows that it has been like banned from our house. Um, So 
I'm really, really excited that you um, were so generous to take the time to come and talk to us and talk with our listeners about, you know, your approach to oral health. Well, um, uh, thank you, really. Uh, That gives me goosebumps when you say that, when I can actually get into a household and modify their, their behavior for the best. That's the fun part of being an influencer and being on the internet. So that's great. And, and it's, it's gonna, you're, you're gonna feel the difference. I was so fascinated with the little tidbits that Briarly has shared since she talked to you. And I have to say, I've never heard of any other person like you. It's so fascinating. Um, you refer to your classically trained dentist, but you you refer now more to yourself as a function uh, functional dentist or holistic or how and how did you how did that happen? What was that what was that moment or series of events where you were caused to kind of question what you've learned and all that has just been ingrained in us when it comes to oral health? Yeah, I mean, and as you would expect, it's many, many moments over a period of time. There wasn't just one moment that I could single out. Uh, and, and thank you. I mean, I, back 10, 15 years ago, my approach was very unique and, and I was criticized often. I mean, you know, telling a mouthwash manufacturer that their product causes high blood pressure. I mean, that, that just didn't go over well, but that is changing now, thank goodness. And there are more functional dentists uh, with this newest, newer approach um, you know, popping up. And, and the reason you're not going to see it a lot is because it's not in the normal dental curriculum, just like functional medicine is not in the medical curriculum. Uh, and one day I think that will happen, but most of the dentists that I work with and talk with and, and, and mentor, uh, they, um, as I did, they get it through personal experience, health experiences, and but also uh, continue education and thinking that there's something more. I mean, mm-hmm. thinking out of the box. So, so for me, um, I would say it was a series of things. Uh, when I was a teenager, a young man, one of my hobbies, I know this is going to sound a little weird and probably very boring. I had other good hobbies, but, but was to read books on longevity at 17. I was, you know, reading books about nutrition and, you know, how to live longer. And I thought I was just fascinated mm-hmm. by that and by the science. And of course it's come a long way. Then I became, I, my father's a physician and I couldn't fill his shoes. And, and, you know, <laughs> and, and to, to me, medicine wasn't really, I didn't like his lifestyle. He had to go to a, to work every day. It was a hospital and he was a radiologist. Um, and, uh, but he, he didn't have the autonomy that I knew that dentists did because I saw my dentist and he, he could have a crazy schedule. Like I think my dentist in San Francisco was working Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. He had a four day weekend. I mean, so, so there were a lot of factors there, but, uh, I think what happened is I, I, the dental curriculum met what I knew about healthcare at the point, at that point in time. I mean, I read the turning point by Friedhof Capra, which is a book on how to grow food properly. I mean, it's kind of predicted everything that's happened today. It talked mm-hmm. about fluoride. It talked about the big ag phos- phosphates, uh, the fertilizer industry. And, and, and it, he was a Berkeley professor and, and, uh, it was a big seller at the time, but that's what I was reading. So then that, then I got to a normal dental curriculum and it was one of the better ones 
in the world. It's also in San Francisco. It's very well known. But curriculums are kind of lowest common denominator. I mean, they, they really just want to make sure that you come out as a safe practitioner. Uh, a safe beginner. They would even call yeah. us that. Those are the terms they They're use. Kind of they covering their butt and what they teach. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't want us to hurt anyone, and they wanted us. To, they wanted us to have a good, solid clinical basis for you know moving on from that point in time. And and that part of it wasn't really drilled into us. And it, I mean, it was mentioned. You're going to learn most of what you need to know in practice, and yeah. that's the truth. And. So uh, I cut out fluoride. Well, I cut out fluoride even before that. I was against it. I, I grew up in San Francisco, ingested a lot of fluoride. I have little white spots on my teeth called fluorosis, which is even more common now than it was back then with children. Uh, that's a sign of too much fluoride being uh, incorporated into the structure of the tooth as it's being formed. <clears throat> but as we can talk about later, it's also indicative of many other things too. Indirectly, it's a it's a sign that fluoride has gotten into other parts of the body and well, what are the effects of that? And, and then, so then I had children and I knew I didn't want them to be exposed to fluoride, but I didn't have the data I had, I have now. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just a lesser of two evils argument. You know, I'd rather just fix their teeth. I'm a dentist <clears throat> and I can, I can do that. Um, and, uh, and instead of dealing with all the things that were being mentioned, like, Back then, they were talking about IQ and brain health and bone density and hip fractures. That was all being talked about, but there there weren't studies really that supported that. Um, so there was that. So I, I had different approaches to everything. I didn't like metal fillings because it had a neurotoxin mm. in it. So I stopped doing that. Back then, we had alternatives. They're not as good as they are now, uh, but I I just couldn't fathom or bring myself to place a neurotoxin into a child's mouth. Now we're trained that way in dental school. And uh, and we're also, I was one of the first classes to be trained for using resin fillings or plastic fillings as they're called. Um, Is that still the way dentists are trained with metal oh, fillings yeah. still? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. In fact, half the dentists, uh, over half the dentists in the US are still placing amalgams. Uh, half silver, half mercury, it's an amalgam of material. It's very, the, the reason it's so, uh, prevalent is it's so easy to work with. You can work mm -hmm. in a wet field oh. and still provide a service that oh. will last a long time. But while it's there, it's leaching mercury into your system, and let me ask which, you, as you know, is a neurotoxin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that, are those type of fillings generally what insurance covers, if insurance is going to cover yes, it? Yes. And there's that too. Okay. Although actually early in my career, when I did a plastic filling, I had to tell the patient, this is unfortunately not covered. That now is is not the case although plastic fillings cost more and sometimes the coverage is not as good so it's usually 80 percent if you have dental insurance 80 percent of a metal filling and it it can be less maybe 60 percent of a plastic filling because the insurance company will knows that it's a higher price and so they they fix the cost of what they're willing to pay out so that's unfortunate but so i was being basically I was being forced to make all these decisions that I wanted for my kids, for myself, that I really wasn't trained in. Then came my story with sleep apnea. That came about 10 years into my dental career. And I realized uh, that's what I wrote about in my book about sleep apnea and how it relates. You know, why should you ask your dentist whether you have sleep apnea? I mean, that's the premise of the book. And then how to get through that process. My wife and I both were told by our kids one morning, uh, we were dropping our oldest kid off to college 
And uh, I mean, we were literally being beaten up with pillows from in the hotel room saying, oh my God, what was that? It was like a freight train was outside. So so we got tested and, and both my wife and, our, uh, and I are in healthcare. And we were amazed at how difficult the process was to, to figure out what to do mm-hmm. and, you know, is it the right thing to do? What are the root causes of it? Uh, at that point, I already had a lot of background and experience with the functional approach and, you know, going, working upstream, like, why did you get the cavities? You know, I, I can fix mm-hmm. them, but let's try and prevent that from happening so that next time, I, I don't want a patient ever to expect that every time they come in, they're going to get a cavity. To me, that's just not fair because I know that it's not, it, it's not the norm. It's not the default setting. Um, 100% preventable, even in today's uh, uh, world and and society. So, uh, and then, so the whole sleep thing, I, I went upstream on that. It's all about facial development, uh, uh, epigenetics, things in our environment that are making us a population of, of organisms that are suffering more so than ever before in the history of our existence on this planet as homo sapiens. Um, we are suffering now more than ever uh, due to small airway and mouth breathing, mm-hmm. not being able to nose breathe. And so that's my wife and I went through that process and we were, we were able to fix it, but we both have degrees and experience in the healthcare industry. And that was the premise for the book. So, so, I mean, I can go on, but there are all these little things that just kept hitting us or hitting me and having to make, being forced to make decisions. How do I want to treat my patients? Uh, if that's the case and it's different than what I was trained, how do I accomplish that? And so it kind of just congealed into this functional approach. Now, I think what resonated with me is you saying, I knew there was more. And you know and you know that for a while. You don't know what you're going to do with it or it just seems too overwhelming. But things just start happening. And at some point, you just got to dive in and figure out what that more is. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, every healthcare practitioner, actually every patient, every person should understand that us as a superorganism um, is very complex. We're very successful, but it's because of our complexity. And and then the other thing to understand is, is that we don't know the, the half of it. I mean, and and I think if you, if you have the notion that your provider, whether he's a physician or a dentist, is very cocky and says, oh, I can fix that, oh, that's easy. And th- those are not words I want to be hearing from someone because it indicates to me that they don't get the full picture. They don't understand how complicated and how interwoven, you know, uh, health is. And, and I, I can never give a concrete answer in my business, in my profession, because there is no concrete answer. And so you have to view your patient as a, first of all, as an individual, as a unique person with unique issues. And that means typically a unique uh, solution or treatment. How would you, just like to our average listener here, how would you explain what functional dentistry is? It's a good question. And it hasn't been officially defined. There's no recognized specialty for it. But in a nutshell, it would be, not treating the symptoms, I mean, recognizing them, certainly using them as a way to work upstream of that disease and to prevent it, or the modality of treatment changes because you understand what caused the disease. If you're just looking at symptoms there, I mean, I can fix a cavity. A physician can prescribe medicine. Right. We can do surgery, but 
you know, that doesn't really that 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 may that may lead to the wrong therapy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't prevent it from happening again. So again, it's working upstream, seeing the big picture, and understanding the person as this, as this very complicated organism living in a very complicated, flawed environment. It's kind of like functional medicine. You're not you're looking at the cause rather than these symptoms, rather than just giving them medication for their lipids or their blood pressure, you're looking more at the cause. Um, But also you're looking at the whole body. And I saw something funny, and it may have been on your Instagram a while back, but it was a quote and it said something to the effect of, um, isn't it funny how insurance companies act like our um, eyes and our teeth are add-ons? Yes. And so people don't think of... You get health insurance, but you then have to pay for dental and eye. Well, it's kind of like mental health. Like, for years, we haven't treated the brain like it's part of the body. And same for our teeth and oral health. Right. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. I'm glad that resonated with you. Uh, And But it's true. I mean, most physicians work in a vacuum, and as do dentists. And, and, you know, for the ophthalmologists, the optometrists, I mean, there are a lot of things that by looking, when you look in the eye, they can detect heart disease or arteriosclerosis Mm -hmm. earlier than a physician would. And it's the same thing with dentistry. As a dentist, because of our training, uh, we can detect sleep apnea decades before a physician can see it or see the symptoms, right? or the comorbidities. I mean, again, you have to be very careful as a practitioner at what you're looking at and what your criteria are for treatment. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the mouth really is a window into the body. Can Can you talk a little bit about how you feel like the mouth plays into mental health. I mean, because we are a podcast that loves to talk about mental wellness. Well, but maybe even like we've just jumped into functional dentistry. Maybe even, can you explain to just really quick to people how your oral health actually impacts your overall health? Like things like heart disease and that kind of stuff. And, and within that, I think, you know, you'll talk about it. Yeah. Mental health comes in there. Yeah. Let me start with that. Um, and again, really what you said about the mouth, I mean, it's been called the window or, you know, to your soul or being. And, and I mean, there's a lot of meaning behind that. I mean, the mouth is the gateway or entry to a lot of toxins, food. Uh, we use it to express ourselves. It has a lot to do with our self image. There's a connection there and mental health, uh, oral health and mental health. But let's talk about the oral systemic connection first. So what we say at Ask the Dentist on our website always and have been for 20 years now, uh, what happens in the mouth happens in the body. And a lot of people, I always thought my daughter coined that, you know, I was saying it in a more technical way and, and no one's ever questioned that everyone kind of subconsciously really gets that they understand that. And, and it's true. So we have lots of examples. Uh, I had one example in dental school. It had to do with premedicating someone that had like rheumatic heart fever, meaning there's some uh, scar tissue in the heart 
And when you go in for a cleaning, uh, and even though you're healthy, uh, after the cleaning, bacteria in the mouth get into the bloodstream for about 20 minutes. We call that a transient bacteremia. And those bacteria, those oral bacteria, could settle out on that scar tissue and cause an infection of the heart, bacteria, bacterial endocarditis and other things. So we were taught as dental students, I mean, as dental students, and it was hammered into us because it was a liability. It was a, a form of malpractice if you didn't recognize that that patient or know that that patient had that pre-existing condition. Uh, so we pre we've always pre-medicated with uh, antibiotics. So, but that was an early sign that there's a connection between what happens in the mouth and can affect the body. And it's a two-way street. But so the generalities of that are because the mouth is that gateway, as you said early, um, a lot happens in the mouth and the immune system is very active in the mouth because it has to deal with a lot. I mean, we're sampling our environment with foods and smells and odors and poisons and toxins and air, you know, the air we breathe. Um, and so all of that has to be dealt with properly. It has to be sampled. Uh, the person who's doing the sampling needs to know that that's good or bad. So that signal to the brain has to be uh, has to be made. And then, of course, you know, if there's an infection, the immune system has to take care of that infection. The infection can go into the body past the teeth where the gums are. That's, that's what gum disease is the beginning of, that breakdown of that seal, that protective barrier. And it can cause heart disease, Alzheimer's. And, and let, me re, let me emphasize that. It is now, oral bacteria now causative of one of the causes not related to or correlated to gum disease, but causes of Alzheimer's. Uh, heart disease, high blood pressure, breast cancer, uh, uh, mental issues, mental disorders, um, although that's not that's underexplored and not well studied. Uh, what else? Um, uh, endothelial health, the health of the cells in your uh, blood vessels. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on. It, it, any bacteria in the mouth can get into the blood supply and cause metastatic injury, which is like a toxin, a toxic injury. It can kill tissue in an organ or in parts of the body. It can actually cause a new infection to occur, like sepsis in parts of the body that aren't used to seeing those bugs or if it sees too many of those bugs. And what's the other one? The other one is just... Um, forget the name for it, but it's, in, it's inflammatory. It's basically it raises the inflammatory measure, the CRP of, mm -hmm. of you can measure for that, the C-reactive protein index. It, 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 it lights the fire. It keeps it lit, it contributes to it, or it can light that fire of inflammation. So a lot of physicians are looking at CRP, and again, they're practicing in a vacuum. A lot of cardiologists look at CRP for their heart attack victims or people that they're treating for with uh, meds and, and statins for high blood pressure. And they, they want to see that CRP drop. What they don't understand is that, that the mouth is one of the biggest contributors to overall inflammation. So if they're not aware that that patient has gum disease, then all their treatment is, is, not, really being, is not being based on the right parameters.
or well, incorrect parameters. If you believe that the gut is a big orchestrator of health and and is, has protective features and has a link to the brain, which we all should, but but then then you have to understand that the oral microbiome is part of that equation, and it's a big part of of that equation. Uh, I didn't want to forget about the mental health uh, connection because I don't get asked that question a lot, which is interesting, but. And, and it's a very complicated answer or, so I'm just gonna kind of give you the, the big picture. So if you were to draw like a little circle here, uh, mental health and then oral health here, uh, I mean, you, you could essentially just, you know, the, the, there's no small subset. You could mm. you superimpose them and, or you could just draw, you know, thousands of lines back and forth and how they connect in both directions. And the most obvious thing that most people think of is that when you're suffering from depression, they those people tend to be very phobic of going to see the dentist. They don't take care of themselves and their oral health goes down rapidly in terms of quality. Um, but there is, again, that connection between the gut microbiome, the oral microbiome, gut microbiome, we know that if you have a good gut, gut microbiome, you're gonna be a very happy, well-adjusted person. Uh, we don't quite understand the link. It's neurological, it could be bacterial, hormonal, uh, but we know that people that have depression that suffer from you know, uh, serotonin uptake and or, or suppression of those things or not being able to make enough, that has a huge, origin in the gut microbiome. So because this is underexplored and there are very few studies on it, I wish we would look at that gastric, that gut connection to mental health and understand that it's very likely the oral microbiome that is contributing to mental health. Um, yeah. The other way that uh, oral health, uh, and this is a big one, and this is well studied, is facial development. If you don't develop correctly to your full genetic potential, uh, there's the airway box, there's the mouth box and the nose box. If you're, if you're not breastfed properly, if you're not eating hard foods, if you're on a pacifier too long, there, there are uh, certain foods that can promote this uh, fluoride, lack of minerals. <laughs> then these, these, the nose and mouth box don't get wide enough and that affects the size of the airway box. And if you're suffering from sleep apnea, Obviously, we know there are a lot of mental health issues that that is connected to and, and leads to. So, and the last thing would be mouth breathing, nose breathing, nitric oxide. Nitric oxide makes us very happy. That's one of the things it does. And so all of that, so there, what, what I'm saying is that there are, I mean, there, there is one study on how people that have gum disease also suffer from depression. I think we know that. We don't know the mechanism. What I'm saying is that there are many, many connections between oral health and mental health, more than we probably even know. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that I like, I think that, so first the connection, right, that you talked about between the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome, that part. And then you also touched on the inflammation like CRP and it being, um, and other, other inflammatory markers. I'm, I'm sure I know we just kind of like picked on CRP particularly, but that, that, you know, being an indicator of overall health starts in the mouth. And we know that inflammation is very closely tied to any, you know, all of the mental health conditions. Um, so it's, it is in a way, I feel like it's, uh, it can be like frustrating to think that they're all connected and like, where do you start? And then there's also that element of like, oh, well they are all connected. So 
hopefully like, you know, making small changes, um, especially over time will compound and then improve overall health. I'm excited because I feel like changes to your oral care are fairly, feel fairly doable, or at least to me, versus like you're trying to improve the diversity of your microbiome. You know, you can't see necessarily progress that, you know, it's hard to, so I, I'm excited to hear what we should be doing. Yeah, I agree. It, it, what really said is it's overwhelming to most people. And where would you start if you're missing teeth and you've got bleeding gums? That that is that is such a sad place to start from because it is overwhelming. I see this all the time, and people just don't they just don't think it's possible. Um, but then you know what Carolyn said is that it, it it could just start with a simple modification or change or improvement in your oral care uh, regimen. So so there you know there there are two sides to it. But um, it, it's really up to us as healthcare practitioners to motivate our patients. And, and that I think comes through teaching. And, and again, I always say this, but the number one role of a doctor, which is the root of the verb to teach, is to do just that and is to teach. It's, it's not to heal, that comes secondarily. So mm. we need to do more teaching so that our patients understand, you know what, I can, I can do this, I can, I can do this. Yeah. Okay, well, tell us, and I don't know if it'd be if it'd be better for our listeners to hear maybe what you do, or you have your family or your grandkids do on a daily basis for oral care, or maybe like if we were seeing you as a patient, what would our six-month dental checkup be like, or how would it be different, or what do you think is the best way to kind of show us, illustrate the differences, uh, yeah, different approaches? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably bounce back and forth, and I can certainly recommend or, or demonstrate by what what I do. But remember, everyone's a little different. Um, but the basics are this, and maybe I should just start with my list of what causes cavities. That's the most common disease on the planet. Okay. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, tens of thousands of years ago, but, but it is now, and obviously it's our diet. But so number one cause is this oral dysbiosis, which is probably usually caused by the quickest way to change that would be just to buy breathing through your mouth one night while you're sleeping. So if your mouth falls open and you wake up with a really dry mouth in the morning, that probably is a dysbiosis of the oral microbiome. So if that's the case, I would brush first for breakfast, maybe even oil pull for a few minutes and take down that thick layer of that thick biofilm that formed overnight so that your oral microbiome has a chance to start fresh. I mean, when it sees food, it's got to be in good shape. So a lot of people, a lot of dentists will say brush after breakfast. I'm a little leery about brushing after meals uh, because you can do a lot of damage uh, depending on what you're eating, of course. And the best thing would, do, would, be, would be to maybe chew gum or rinse with water and then brush 30 minutes later. But no one has that built into their regimen. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you think that you're on your way to work and then when you're at work, you're not gonna go into the bathroom yeah. and brush your teeth. That would mean you'd have a toothbrush in your purse or briefcase or bag. And and for kids, that's difficult. They probably will get teased at school if they're in the bathroom brushing. So, so I think the safest, most reproducible, best way to deal with that is to brush first thing in the morning. Uh, when I get out of bed, okay, I'm gonna talk about myself now. Uh, I do some stretches, um, you know, quads mostly and then uh and then i will uh, i my mouth has been taped shut so i don't have a dry mouth in the morning um, wait 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 wait. 
Wait, wait, wait. You tape your mouth shut at night? I do. I do. Okay. Because that was my question. How do you make sure your mouth stays shut at night? You tape it shut. That's okay. And that is the only way I can accomplish it. My wife and I have been taping for 10 years and we can go into that, but that helps sleep and wow. so many other things. And I can breathe through my nose, obviously, because the tape stays on all yeah. night. But when I sleep without tape, half the time, based on my head position or body position or the type of pillow or mattress I'm on, maybe I'm traveling. Um, and if there's dry air outside, I mean, I wake up with a dry mouth. Sometimes a dry mouth will wake you up in the middle of the night because your tongue is sticking to yeah. the roof of your mouth. I mean, that's not good. That, that, that means you have a lack of saliva. Saliva is the basis for the oral microbiome. And it's normal for you to stop salivating or salivate less at night because that's, that's your parasympathetics are in charge, a sympathetic tone uh, could be there because you're waking up at night due to you know uh, breathing issues and, and so, but typically the body shuts down the saliva glands at night because they're not needed. So, so yeah, you're gonna wake up, if you wake up with a dry mouth, you're, you're gonna be more, you are, you have a predilection to gum disease and decay, tooth decay. It's the worst feeling too with a dry mouth. I had a- um, Oh, it is. It's, it can a, be painful. Yeah, it I had a painful. dream this summer where I was just like so dehydrated and couldn't get anything to drink. And then I woke up and I, I guess I had slept with my mouth open or more so than usual. And I was just, just parched. It was the worst feeling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah, and the, the biome is is under attack at that point. It needs saliva to stabilize pH. Uh, your teeth, when they're trying to remineralize, which can happen at night, repair themselves, reverse small cavities. They're looking for all the phosphates and calcium ions and boron and other ingredients and minerals in your saliva for that to happen. So saliva is very important. So that's why I mouth tape. There are a lot of people that cannot mouth tape because they can't breathe through their nose those people have a very high incidence of gum disease mm -hmm. and decay. So, so, so I brush before breakfast. That's if I eat breakfast, I don't typically eat breakfast. And then I will, I will brush after a meal, but it could be like an avocado salted with olive oil on it. You really don't need to brush after that. There, there are no carbs. Mm -hmm. um, but if I were to eat something high in carbs, I would not brush. Or if I were to drink a glass of wine or have coffee, uh, or even iced tea. I drink a lot of iced tea. I'm very wary of brushing within 20, 30 minutes of that event. Uh, diet sodas are the worst. I mean, now, will they you actually explain add... for our listeners why if you ate, if you had carbohydrates or if you had wine or diet sodas, can you explain for our listeners why you wouldn't brush? Right. Um, so let's use an example. Let's, let's use, uh, Let's use goldfish, you know, the cracker mm -hmm. that we feed our kids. And that is such a highly refined carbohydrate. And this goes for, well, there are two categories. There's the food or beverage itself that has a low pH. And then there are foods and beverages that create a low pH. So I think you uh, wanted me to explain wine. So wine can be acidic. Mm -hmm. uh, coffee certainly is acidic. Iced tea is slightly on the acidic side. Even some mineral waters. I've measured lots of mineral waters. Uh, Pellegrino mm. is on the slightly alkaline side, but what's the other big brand? Uh, Perrier. Perrier is on the acidic side. Huh. And so if you're eating and drinking a lot of acidic foods, you are literally demineralizing the surface of your tooth. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's what the biofilm is for. That's what that plaque layer is for. I, I don't want to demonize plaque or 
the biofilm because the biofilm is protecting this inanimate object that's in our mouth, our teeth. So our plaque is there, I mean, it, it grows. A small we amount grow of it. plaque is there to protect our teeth. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. and to help the remineralization wow. process. Now, this that plaque can me. get out of control. It can get too thick, especially with a dry mouth. It can get furry. You can get a lot of food stuck in there, and then then you get this dysbiosis. So, but anyway, so so if you go in there and brush with nylon bristles, which are pretty abrasive, especially if it's a very worn toothbrush, and you use a whitening toothpaste, which is extremely abrasive, and you've got this little what we call a slurry layer or a little layer of of calcium that's been demineralized and is coming off the tooth due to the acid. I mean, it's being dissolved then you're literally scrubbing that away. And if the tooth has a chance to remineralize the tooth, it could maybe uh, recreate that surface. But typically people that are not aware of this and are eating poorly, that equation of the body trying to fix and the body and the, and the tooth losing calcium, that's demineralization and remineralization, that's an equation. And you always wanna be on the remineralization side of the equation and you need neutral pH for that. You need saliva, you need good foods, you need good brushing habits, like not brushing too early after a meal. Otherwise, you're going to lose your teeth. I mean, you're, you're going to get sensitive teeth. That's usually the first sign. Sensitive on the side. You're going to get little ditches on the side of the teeth that don't look so nice. Then you're going to get gum recession. Uh, and and that's essentially means you're on one side of the equation too long and too much. Wow. This is this all makes total sense. But I was just sitting here thinking, gosh, I can never tell my kids these tips. Like, don't brush after you eat this. You know, yeah, they're just yeah. going to run with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. Oh, I can't, I can't yeah. brush well, my teeth really, now. If they're really young, I mean, and, they, and their pediatric teeth or child teeth, children's teeth are in, you know, maybe not, you don't have to worry about it too much. But with the adult teeth, that's the last set. And they're, they're, they are, you want them to last and you don't want sensitive teeth and that's something you're going to have to address with them. And, but I, that's easy as a parent. I think you, they just tell them, do what I do. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, usually they, they will follow unless they're teenagers, then they do the opposite. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So brush first thing in the morning, but with some caveats. Right. What then, else? Th yeah. Then, uh, I would brush after dinner, maybe a half hour after dinner. If you've had a paleo meal with just vegetables and some protein, then you can brush anytime you want. And then I would floss. Um, and I would floss. I wouldn't do this all before bed because typically that is our lowest point of, of the day in terms of willpower, motivation, you know, energy, uh, that that part of our brain that says, hey, I'll just do it tomorrow. That That's that's not the time to do it because typically you'll forego it or you won't do it as long or as well as you normally would. So I would brush within a half hour of dinner and floss, get that done with. The other advantage of that is that because you've spent all that time, it's a commitment in time, you're less likely to snack before bed, which will help your sleep. So, so And then also a lot of toothpaste have very strong essential oils in it spearmint and mints and and peppermint and those are neural stimulators it's the last thing you want to do before you go to bed right mm. is to absorb a neural stimulant what happens if you eat carbohydrates or something acidic at dinner uh after dinner you uh, rinse with water chew some gum and then brush a half hour later okay so i know it's, com it's complicated isn't it it is <laughs> yeah it's not easy, not easy. It's, it's, 
Not as easy as we thought, but you know, it's again, it can become a routine. It can become a habit. And once you're in that habit, you've got it locked down. So even these while are, traveling. this is the first step, this brushing, that would be kind of step one for people. If they really want to make some, start making some oral health changes is to follow your brushing rules. Is that right? And then keep your mouth shut while you're sleeping. Or at least that's, uh, that's it doesn't have to be step one, but that would be like tip. A key uh, thing you could start tip. with. It would be a tip. Well, yeah. I think, so I think what you're asking is what, what are my three favorite tips yes. for boosting your oral health? I mean, moving the needle as much as possible. It would be, it would be mouth taping. It would be scraping your tongue and then flossing. It wouldn't be brushing. Uh, maybe oh. a change in diet, like eliminating sugar from your diet. Going to a whole 30 type diet is a great start. And just trying that for a month um, because, you know, you're going to, by scraping your tongue and flossing, you're going to feel better about yourself. Uh, your taste buds will improve in terms of their ability to taste certain foods, which means that maybe you'll see, uh, seek out the right foods. Maybe you'll be able to leave those addictions of foods that we know that these big corporations put things into to make us addicted to those foods uh, and, and aren't necessarily good for us. Uh, and then, of course, the mouth taping. You'll feel better. Uh, a lot of our diet choices occur because we're not sleeping well at night. When we wake up, we're tired. Mm -hmm. Well, what are we looking for? We're looking for carbs. We're looking for things in little bags that we open. Even bars, even sports bars aren't good for us. Uh, we're, we're craving those foods uh, subconsciously because we need energy. We're tired. And it does give us a little quick boost, but then it affects us metabolically and then our blood sugar levels are all over the place. And by the way, any food that has a high glycemic index that can can upset your blood glucose levels, that's a bad food for your mouth. Those are the foods that cause acids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there were two things that you've said. One, I have a little bit of a preview to because you and I have talked about it before, and that is eating like a lower carb, more paleo-based diet, which I definitely want to hear you talk about that. But before that, I have been dying to ask you about tongue scraping tongue scraping <laughs> versus using a toothbrush. Tell me why I should stop brushing my tongue. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, and a lot of people are very happy with using their toothbrush, but but it's it's hard to describe, but think think of, and maybe this is not a good analogy uh, based on your age, but remember the shag carpets that were big in the 60s and 70s? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 because like... Yeah, they actually yeah. came with a very, like a rake. Really? And that was the only way you could clean it is by running the rake, you know, to get the pile back up and all that. You know, I just saved something in my cart on Amazon for, for my, I'm going to say this wrong, for one of my Ushak rugs or whatever so I can get the dog hair out of it. It is a scraper. It is in my Amazon cart right now. <laughs> that picks up more stuff. And really what you want to do, picture the tongue. The tongue is like a field of mushrooms. And all the mushroom heads are touching each other. That is the surface of the tongue. And then if you were to part those mushrooms, you would see the underside of the tongue. First of all, that's where all the bad stuff collects. And you want to, you want to break that. You want to break apart those mushrooms and dig down in deep to get rid of all oh those gosh. sulfides and, and junk and digested food. And that's where bad breath comes from. And that's that, that tongue has its own biome microbiome. It, it's a niche. It's one of the yeah, biome niches in the mouth. And so 
again, remember what I said, if you really want to boost your self-esteem, start scraping your tongue. You will feel better. It feels good. Now, if you have a gag reflex, you're going to have to learn how to use that. But the scraping action is easier and a better way of getting those little mushrooms to the filiform papillae, to the taste buds, uh, to, to part and get underneath there. In fact, when you brush your tongue, you're not doing much. And when you look at your brush, you're not going to see anything. When you scrape your tongue, the first time you do it, you may see some blood, which is, you're not bleeding. You haven't cut yourself, uh, but you're seeing a lot of inflammatory tissue that upon provocation bleeds, a lot like gum tissue. And you're going to see this kind of, it's not yellow pus, it's kind of a beige colored fluid. And, And if you keep scraping, you could do it in one session, which is brutal, or you could do it over a week. That disappears after you scrape for a week. That disappears. It's clear. And your, your, the taste in your mouth will be better. Your ability to taste certain foods will be better. A, a lot of master sommeliers, I mean, think of them. That's mm-hmm. a very difficult job mm-hmm. of, of, of recognizing varietals and wines. I live in Napa Valley, so I talk to these guys all the time. And, and it's like, you know, if they have gum disease, they're not going to be good at their job. If they have an oral dysbiosis, they're not going to be good at their job. So typically they're on oral hygiene and they're scraping their tongue. So, so what I'm taking away from the tongue scraping versus the toothbrush, I think you, you both probably know that I love to like break it down as like basic as I can is I'm going to go back to your shag carpet. It's like trying to use a vacuum on your shag carpet versus using one of those scraping tools. Yep. Uh, or a beater brush on the vacuum. Right. The it's beater just brush. beating it down. You need to separate all those little filiform papillae. And that's why a serrated, uh, my, my favorite uh, tongue scraper, which I can give a link to. It's, it's dirt do. cheap, costs nothing, can last forever. It's plastic, unfortunately. It's flat. It's portable. You can put it in your back pocket. You can travel with it. It has a concave and a flat side. So the concave digs a little bit more than the flat side does. And that is that that little bar, that rake that they used to sell with the shag carpets, because that opens up all the pile, it, it opens up the pile so that when you do vacuum, you're getting the dirt. Oh my gosh. What also, the scraping yes. is easier. Think of it. What, a few scrapes of, a, of a, a bar or a is so much easier than think about how long it would scrubbing. take you to scrub your whole brush with a toothbrush. Right, right. It's, it's just impractical and it's not doing a good job. So on, on many accounts, you got to go with a real tongue scraper. I can't wait. I am a little worried that my less ex- that I'm not going to be quite as happy with my less expensive wines once I do this, <laughs> but I feel like I need to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. My pocketbook needs to sacrifice. Yeah. For my oral microbiome. Well, we definitely want you to share the link with us so that we can put it in the show notes. I also okay. now know what I am buying everybody in my entire family for Christmas <laughs> this year. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm just I'm just waiting for Oral B or Sonicare to come out with a sonic tongue scraper, which is not needed, but it's coming. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm it's sure. Ridiculous. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really would love it if you would give everybody just a quick rundown on your personal diet um, and the choices that you've made, because to totally spoil it for listeners and for Carolyn, I would put you in the category when you tell people about your diet, I would put you in the category of like a dietitian might look at you and be like, are you sure that doesn't sound fully balanced, but you, you have great reasoning and science and methodology. So go. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I don't, I don't want to make it too complicated. The simple answer is paleo. Uh, very few carbs. If you do carbs, complex carbs, stay away from sugar. Sugar is a processed product. Uh, Whole30 diet, another uh, good solution to that. Um, uh, I, I think fiber is important. Uh, animal fats, there's, it's not the protein, it's the saturated fat that gives you that exposure to K2. Uh, vitamin A, K2, not K1, not the K that we get from kale and, and you know uh, leafy vegetables, but K2 and D3, those are all very important ingredients and in the pathway of remineralizing teeth and keeping them sound and, and from getting cavities. Uh, obviously, there are other benefits too. So, so that's important. Um, uh, Glycemic index, we talked about that. Any food that has a high glycemic index could be a natural unfiltered apple juice. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as bad as orange juice with pulp in it. Orange juice has a higher glycemic index. Those are foods that are, that are bad for your mouth. If it has a high glycemic index and you're worried about your blood sugar levels or you're monitoring them or you have diabetes, type 1, type 2, uh, type 1 sometimes will seek out orange juice to help bring up their sugar levels, of course. Um, th those foods also impact uh, in different ways by a different pathway, but they're also bad. Think of it as diabetes of the tooth. I mean, mm. it's yeah. like Alzheimer's is type three diabetes. Um, yeah. Diabetes. I mean, it, it's it, it, it's not a stretch, and and so and it, it should be no surprise to anyone that all these foods are good for all systems in the body. That's how we evolved. Um, I also like to talk about our ancestors. You know, if you're really questioning this and wondering about it, go back to what our ancestors ate. Also, go back and look at the history, the archaeological. Uh, anthropological history of uh, we have great data on mouths, jaw widths. We pull uh, DNA from plaque and calculus, from teeth. I mean, there's so much data coming in from that. We know what they were eating based on what we're able to, the calculus, the tartar, we're able to pull off uh, the teeth that are in skulls and and see what they were doing and and see their rate of decay and gum disease. It's It's the exact opposite of what we have now. It, it's prolific. It's it's an epidemic. It's uh, it's endemic. It's well, endemic's not the right word. It, it's everywhere. Um, the majority of us have oral disease in this country, yeah. and gum disease and cavities are the number one disease in the world, the most prevalent among kids and adults. Um, so, why look at look at our ancestors? They were they were the opposite. There was the occasional cavity. There was the occasional bit of little bone loss and. Of course, some people will argue they didn't live long enough. We actually have some good data on on our ancestors that have lived to age 80 or 90. And again, no sign of any of that. So so eat what they ate. Um, and then the other question is, is do we really know what they ate? And we do, we do. There's lots of, if you dig deep enough, there's some fascinating data on there based on calculus. There's DNA of food caught up in that calculus in the DNA of, of that um, of the tissue that's in the tartar, dried collagen, I guess, uh, it's all there. The, the data is there. So paleo, uh, you know, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, I, I have one daughter that is, it's difficult, although she'll eat fish. That's more difficult because you're not getting the saturated animal, animal fats, which is where you get K2. So maybe they'll eat butter. Butter is high in K2. K2 is so important for oral health. Uh, 
it, it has uh, these proteins that help mobilize calcium. You can be eating a lot of calcium, but if there's no K2 on board, that calcium is running around in your bloodstream. Mm. It's not going to your jawbone. It's not going to your teeth. It's not going to your long bones. Uh, it's not being used properly in cellular pathways, you know, across the cell wall. Uh, so that's important. Um, so it's harder if you're a vegan. Uh, a, a lot of my vegetarian patients, they, higher incidence of decay. And the studies mm. do show that. So, and gum disease. Yeah, anecdotally, I, I can... Uh... I can speak to that in terms of having knowing some people who are vegan and their oral health. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, there's a higher incidence of PCOS and uh, arthritic conditions. And I mean, we, we, unfortunately we need that. And of course, impossible meat does not supply that. Don't, don't yeah. be misled by that. And these synthetic meats, uh, and they're high in, uh, uh, the industrial seed oils as well. And that's an inflammatory food. So, yes. yeah. So I don't know if I answered that question properly. You it's did. a very sensitive subject uh, i can get into specifics i can tell you what i'm eating today um i haven't had breakfast i had a lot of water in the morning because remember you haven't had anything to drink for six seven eight hours right yeah. first thing you should do is drink water stretch brush your teeth um rehydrate so i will have a um a, a kind of a little bowl of of uh what, what's in it uh it's going to be salmon uh from a can but with bones in it uh, wild caught, and then it's going to have onions in it, purple onions. It'll have a curried, uh, um, fermented uh, sauerkraut, bought locally. Uh, what else? Uh, beets. I'll have a beet puree that I get locally. Um, uh, I'll have some olive oil on that, avocado, salted, peppered avocado. The salt will be microplastic free, which is difficult to do. Um, find and then for dinner, I'll have a full-on paleo meal. I, last night it was, I don't know what it'll be tonight, but it'll be, it was kind of a um, chicken uh, with beans and kind of like a, a cabbage stew. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And no yeah. wine. I, I gave up wine, uh, although I will drink when I'm with wine drinkers because it's fun. And of course, I try and limit that to one or two glasses max. But I used to drink red wine every night. Now it's uh, iced tea, uh, uh, a Rubio's tea after three o'clock because I'm afraid of the caffeine, of course. It'll be green tea up until that point in time and lots of water with minerals in it. And that's about it. And dark chocolate. Yeah, that's source right. source of nitric oxide. That's right. 72% or higher. And that does have a little sugar in it. If you can get 80%, 76%, I think is the ideal ratio hard to find though and yeah. a little bit of dark chocolate won't hurt it's a superfood it's rich in nutrients and you know that that'll keep you happy so it took a while to get there um but boy i feel so much better a lot of fish too love fish salmon coho salmon that's wow. awesome that is awesome well this has been fascinating we are going to make sure everybody knows how they can follow you, your website, all that great stuff. And um, because this has just been fascinating and I appreciate all that you're doing. Well, thank you. And, you know, I, I said a lot and we talked about a lot. All of this is on the website and, and my email is on the website on Instagram. I'm available. If you have questions, uh, you know, keep it specific. I don't want, I don't want questions on like, I have a crown. What do I do with this crown? It's right. broken. I, I can't do that uh, online. That's up to your dentist. But um, or reach out to some of our functional dentists. Um, we just want to get people understanding what oral health really is and how important it is. And thank you to the both of you for 
you know, sitting here for an hour and a half and allowing me to talk about it. It's really important and it has a lot to do with our overall well-being, mental health, physical health, and eventual overall our health destiny and, and multi it can be multi-generational. Uh, yeah, it's important. It really is. And you are a wealth of information. So we, um, we really appreciate all of the time that you gave us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye! Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.